Let's pray. We're going to get in the Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that this Word, we don't have to have an interpretation for this Word because You have given the interpretation. The interpretation is Jesus. The Word of God, the written Word, has to line up with the living Word, who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is our God. He is our King. And we worship Him. So, Father, we thank you that you are going to lead us into all truth, that you are going to usher us in into our our Sabbath rest, that we will truly understand what it means to live a life of grace and faith. We love you, we praise you, and we just enjoy you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've been in this journey, and we've been anchored in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. You guys should probably know this by heart by now, right? But it's important to know, because everything, everything in life, everything in this life, everything in the new creation, everything in the kingdom of God works this way. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works least anyone should boast. We are to live by grace through faith. We are to live by grace through faith. See, a lot of people would not consider this series a life application message. You know, that's a a big thing in in seeker-friendly churches and stuff like that. Life application. Giving something that you can apply to your life. Three Five, five points to, to a better marriage, or three points to um, getting your kids to act all right. Whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that this truly is the life application that the Bible describes to us. That this is not something we are just supposed to listen to and say, that's so wonderful, that's so good, that was a good message, that was a deep message, that was, that was something that... Uh, that is great for the Sunday, Sunday morning, but doesn't apply to me in, in the 9 to 5. Doesn't apply Monday through Saturday. This is life application. This is the life application that Paul gave the church, church in his day. We need to apply what, what we're learning from Scriptures, what we're learning in the new creation realities in Christ Jesus what we're learning about the kingdom of God, we need to apply this to how we live our daily life. Our whole life is supposed to be a life lived through, by grace through faith. And look at this revelation that Paul wanted the church to understand in this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, What is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? So there's this greatness of his power that is towards something. Who's it towards? Us. Who what? Believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above, far above, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. In verse 19, it states, according to. According to, right? 
what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to according to when you, when that, that word according to it means in, in proportion or the degree of so what paul is says that says that god's desire is to show us the exceeding greatness of his power that is already on the inside of us when we are born again that is in proportion to his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead. Remember last week? We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly place in Christ. Has means what? Already happens, past tense. So you have been blessed, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. With every. There's what's left out of every? Nothing. There is nothing left out. And because you're sitting here today, and because you're a believer, and because you're a child of God, and because you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, you weren't left out. See, that's the problem is we, we, we think in our, to ourselves, well, my situation was left out of, of Christ's atoning work. Or we say, well, maybe I'm the one that's just left out of this promise. No, nothing was left out in, in Christ's all-sufficient work, and you weren't left out. You weren't left out. Do you know that Paul never prayed? Listen to this. Paul never prayed for God to give the church power. He never prayed for that. He also never prayed for God to give us power. He never even taught the church to pray to God for more power. Isn't that interesting? If you think back on some of the prayers that you might have heard or you might have prayed yourself, a lot of those prayers are asking for God for more. He also never once asked God for a double portion. I think that's very interesting because these are things that you hear in church. You hear in the religion of men, the philosophy of men that are not rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He never asked for a double portion. Why? Because you've already been given everything. There's nothing left out. What did he pray? He prayed that the church would get a revelation of what God has already put on the inside of us. Look at this revelation Paul gives in chapter 3. In, verse th- in, in chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, what's, what's, what's missing in the word all? Nothing. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think, 
according to the power that works in you. So could God want to do the, some amazing things in your life, but because, by his grace, right? God's part is his grace, right? Grace is God's ability. Grace is, is we play no part in God's ability, right? We play no part in the grace. And, and by grace, God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. But because we're not appropriating that grace by faith, he's not able to work that power through us. That that power is already in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And there's things that God wants to do in your life, but because of fear, because, because of, of lack of understanding, because of unbelief, we're not allowing God to work through our life because we're not stepping out with what He's called us to do by faith. The Apostle Paul never once says that we need to be asking God for something. He's always praying and writing to the churches, giving them revelation into what they already have in Christ. The power that God put in every born-again believer is the exact same power God used when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That power that's within you is what's going to raise your body from the dead. You know that? A seed has to die. And that comes to new life. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in your spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You have now become one spirit with Him. You've been baptized into God Almighty. You've been, you've been welded into God. You have been engrafted into God. In your new creation that never existed before. To understand that. To understand that you, you have something that Adam did not have. See, when Adam, when Adam was in the garden before the fall, he had a spirit just like God. He was a spirit, soul, and body. But it was his spirit. Because if it was the Spirit of God, Adam could have never fell. God's Spirit cannot die. And Adam experienced what? Spiritual death. And when he died, he was given a conscience to know the difference between good and evil. And for us, we're not just given a new spirit, we're giving given the Spirit of Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. That's why your, your salvation is, is eternal. Your salvation is everlasting. Your salvation is in God, and it, it cannot be taken away from you. That is good news. That's why the Bible says that we are a new creation that never existed before. It never existed before. Because we have become one spirit with God. That's awesome. 
But the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And when Jesus went into the grave, when Jesus died and was put in that tomb, Satan used every ounce of strength that he had to stop the resurrection of Jesus. But every ounce of his efforts was pointless when God, through his mighty power, raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And now you, as a born-again believer, have that same power on the inside of you. And that, that's awesome news. That's, that's awesome. See, the, the problem is, is that, that that grace is on you, the grace is in you, but we, do we really believe it? Do we appropriate it by faith? Are we embracing it by faith? How would your day change? How would your daily life change? How would your, your marriage change if you understood that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? If that was on the forefront of your mind, See, God has already provided everything by grace. Everything has been provided by grace. Now we just have to get into a position of faith. Instead of trying to believe that it's going to happen, we are to believe and understand that God has already provided it, and it's a done deal. This is so important to understand. It's so much easier to believe that something has already been done, that God said He did it, and it's done, to believe that it's been done, that it was done in the past, right? To believe that God did it in the past and then walk in that belief than it is to have some type of human faith that, that looks into the future and is trying to believe that God will do it. There, there's question marks when you're wondering if will God do it, there is no question when he says that I have done it. And too many Christians are looking into the future, hoping something will happen, and walking into that double mind, the future double-minded, walking into it without confidence, walking into it with blind faith, instead of knowing what God has already did in them through Christ Jesus and with boldness and confidence say, thus says the Lord, this is what God has said, this is what God has done, and I'm going to the future and the best is yet to come. That's a, that's a huge difference. Just operate in what God said He has already done. Just act like it's true. It will be the difference between victory and defeat. In, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that we, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if, he, if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. So biblical faith, all biblical faith is, it's not complicated, biblical faith is just reaching out and appropriating what God has already provided by grace. Biblical faith isn't trying to make something happen. It's just agreeing with what God said He's already done. That's, <laughs> I don't know if you understand this, but that, that, that is profound. 
Because most of the church is a hoping and a wishing. Instead of standing in the confidence of what Jesus Christ has already done. See, we don't have to ask or beg God. You don't have to ask or beg God because He's already done it. He has already supplied everything in Jesus. It just... It's, it's now just a matter of us believing and receiving. So if that's true, if God's already provided everything in Christ Jesus, how does that jive with the scripture we just read? Where it tells us to ask. Right? See, what you got to understand, there's nothing wrong with asking, but it needs to be done with what? It says confidence. It needs to have expectation. When we ask God, there's no question marks in it. We come to him in confidence that he has already provided and that we already have it. we got to understand that there is no barrier between God's supply of his grace. There is no barrier. God is, has not put up a wall. There is no barrier between his supply of grace to you. He has already provided the grace. It's an endless supply. And we just have to embrace it by faith. Consider all this with what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, you guys know this as, a, as the Lord's Prayer. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just love that. i, I got to pull that out. But Jesus told us to pray that for God's will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Is there sickness in heaven? Is there poverty in heaven? Is there, sad, is, there, is there lack of joy and peace in heaven? This is God's will. We don't, we, don't ha- we don't have to ask thy will be done. We know what his will is. His will is for earth to be a mirror, to be a reflection of heaven. And then he goes on and says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This is asking God to provide for our daily needs, right? However, it's, look at how Jesus said for us to ask. It's not with question marks. It isn't saying, God, will you give us our daily bread? Is it? Will you provide for our needs? There's no wonder or uncertainty in how Jesus told us to pray. It's not even a question, is it? It's actually a polite demand. It's a request on something that was already promised. It's actually making a confident demand of the grace of God with the expectation that God will supply or better yet, has already supplied. See, it's the same dynamic in your home. I mean, if your home is healthy. if you Children don't ask their parents if they can have something to eat, do they? Are we going to eat tonight? Do I get to eat? Are you going to provide for me something to eat? They expect to be fed. 
They actually go and take it from themselves. And then when they get done eating what they just took, then they ask, what's for dinner? (laughs) They expect it. Why? Because they believe that their parents are good. They believe that their parents will provide. They, 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 They believe that their parents are their source. What would you do? What would think about this? What would you do if you came over to my house and we were fellowshipping in the living room, and then out of the corner of your eye you seen something crawling across the floor, and you looked over, and it was one of my kids. And they and they were crawling across the floor, groveling and not looking up. And then they got to me. They got on their knees, put their hands together, and said, "Please, please, Father." If you can find it in your loving and merciful heart, will you give me some dinner tonight? What would you do? You would think something's screwy in this house. That's weird. There is some dysfunction. There might be even some abuse. Do you think that's what it looks like in church? Do you think that you think that's the image that we've given the world of our heavenly Father? I got a question you need to ask yourself. Are you a son and daughter or are you a slave? Are you a believer or are you a beggar? Asking is nothing more than acknowledging God as our source. Why do we say, in most, most pe- people usually in their prayers, in Jesus' name? Most of you probably don't even know. You just think that's like a period. That's, that's so everybody knows we're all done. The reason why we say in Jesus' name is because everything that we said beforehand is our right because we're not saying it in our power. We're not saying it in our ability. We're not saying it in our authority. We are saying it in the name of Jesus. The name that is above every name. That's far above all principalities and power and everything that is named. We say in Jesus' name because that's the authority in which we have to receive our petition, what we've asked, what we confessed, what we commanded. There's, there's sometimes you, you need to talk, talk to the kingdom of darkness in the name of Jesus. That's why we say in Jesus' name. And why do, we, why do we, we fellowship with God? Why do we pray to God? Why do we have conversations with God and, and, and talk about the things that we need and the things that we're, we're desiring and the things that... It's because 
We're acknowledging that He is our source. He is the source of grace. And a lot of times, it's good to have fellowship with God, especially when you're asking Him to meet a certain need or something. Because a lot of times, if you listen, Holy Spirit will speak to you and He might give you a course correction. He might say, well, you're believing too small. He He might say, this is actually what I want for you. Right? See, it's not about... It's not, again, in a healthy family, kids fellowship with their parents. Kids come to their parents for direction. Kids come, come and want encouragement, edification. They want to be provided for, but they also want to be taken care of and have the wisdom of their parents. Right? If it's healthy, if the kids aren't in rebellion. Right? It's the same thing with God. It's the exact same thing. Where do you we didn't this didn't come from evolution? It came from God. It's his nature in us. Because we were created in his image. Asking is nothing more than acknowledging God as our source, that God is the source of everything we need. He is the source of the grace. And with confidence and assurance, we take hold of it by faith. We believe that it's true. Fathers, have you ever disappointed your children? Yeah. Every day. There are things, there are things that we <laughs> say because we are hoping to be able to do what we said. And then something happens in life and we weren't able to do exactly what we said we were going to do. At that, maybe at that moment. Maybe down the road you were able to do it. But there's a disappoint, disappointment in that. But God Almighty, God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, that is filled with love and mercy, that is, has a constant flow of His grace towards you, do you think that he will ever disappoint? Is it possible for God to disappoint? You know, what if I told you that after this service, that after this, this service, I was going to treat you to lunch? We're going to go to lunch. I'm, it's my treat. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to go eat. It's going to be good, right? Best fellowship you've ever had. And then what would, your, what would your response be after service? I mean, it could actually be two different types of responses. You could, you could, you could, your response actually could sound identical, but have two different attitudes. You can say the same thing. So after church, you could come up to me and say, Chad, are you really taking me to lunch? Are we really going to, are we going to lunch? Or you could be saying, or you could come to me and say, I got my coat, car's running. Let's go, I'm hungry. What is your approach to God? What is your attitude towards God? Is it filled with question marks? 
Or is it with confidence and expectation and excitement? You can, you can use the same words and have two very different motives. People can sound religious. They can sound spiritual. But the motive of their heart is filled with unbelief. You can place demand, trusting on, on what I said, that it's true and that I am honest and I keep my word. Or you could make the statement in unbelief and question if I was really good enough to take you to lunch. You know, in the, in the last verse of Hebrews chapter 3, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, it states this. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And what this is talking about, in context, this is talking about the Jews and how the Jews failed to receive God's provision and they failed to enter into the promised land because of their unbelief. Was it God's will for them to go into the promised land? Who was the one that kept them out of the promised land? They did. They did. So for those that believe in the extreme sovereignty of God, that God controls everything, it, it totally contradicts what God just said here. God said that it was their unbelief that kept them out of the promised land. It wasn't God. It wasn't God. God's will for, was never for them to spend 40 years in the wilderness. God's will was never for that generation to die in the wilderness and the next generation to enter in. Understand, the Hebrew writer uses this example for us today. The very next verse, look at what he goes on to say in chapter 4. Therefore, therefore what? Because of their unbelief, they failed to inherit the promised land. They, they failed to enter into what God had provided for them. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. See, again, this verse is useless to a Calvinist. You know, a person that says that God does everything and nothing happens unless it's his will. Because this says, you, you need, you need to be careful. You need to be fearful. In other words, you need to take this seriously. You need, you need to be cautious. You need to be aware. There is something that God has for his children that we can fail to receive and not enter in the same way the Jews failed to enter into the promised land. Do you understand? See, we're, we're no different than the Jews entering, entering, entering into the promised land. See, God say, says, gives us all these precious promises in Christ Jesus. We have all these promises in, in God. And all we see is the giants in our land. 
All we see is what's going on in the physical realm. What's the reason why the Jews didn't enter into the promised land? Was it because God did not give them the land? God said that he gave them the land. It wasn't a question if God would give them the land. Their faith was to be in the past where he said, I have given it to you. Do you see this? The problem is, is that they're like most Christians and they're looking at their situation. They're looking at the promised land. They're looking at the inhabitants of the land and they are saying, will God give us the land? And they failed to enter in. And the same thing is the same with us today. We fail to enter into the rest. We fail to enter into the grace. We fail to enter into what God has given us already in Christ Jesus because of unbelief. See, God here is warning that we need to be diligent because you could miss God's will for your life. You can miss God's will for your life. You can miss God's best for your life. We don't just automatically enter into the rest, God's rest. See, just like the Jews entering into the promised land, this is all types and shadows of what we have in Christ Jesus. Just like the Jews entering into the promised land, even though they had the promise, even though the land was already given to them, even though God says, I have put your enemies in, into your hand, they had to go out in faith and walk the grace out. Even though there's sickness in, in our world, even though there's poverty in our world, even though that there's death, destruction in our world, even though that there's the giants of the kingdom of darkness in our world, God has already promised us the victory. He already said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He already says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says, in this world, there will be tribulation. That's not a promise. That's just a statement of, of reality. But then he says, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I am the world overcomer. And because I have overcome the world, you have overcome the world in me. Do you, do you see that we're, we're no different? We're no different than the children of Israel. We fail to enter in because of our un, unbelief. It's not because God hasn't promised. It's not because God hasn't provided. It's because we, through unbelief, fail to enter in. We fail to fight the good fight of faith. We fail to show ourselves more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We fail to use the authority that Jesus Christ has given us. We fail to walk out this life in faith. We don't automatically enter into the rest of God. It says here that you need to fear. You need to reverence this idea. That you need to take this seriously. That you have the ability through your carnal mind to not enter into the grace of God. 
You need to be aware, you need, and you need to be intentional, lest you miss out on something God has provided for you. Let's move to verse 2. In verse 2 it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. What's the gospel mean? What's gospel mean? Good news, right? The good news. What, what was the good news preached to the, to the Jews? That I've given you the promised land. There it is. It's yours. No one will be able to stand against you. Right? He says, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. So God's word, his his all-powerful word, his living word, doesn't produce profit in some people's life. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God's word is the grace of God. It's his provision in our life. And when we fail to mix faith, corresponding action to what God has said, the word doesn't profit us at all. You can quote all the scriptures you want. You can know them chapter and verse. But if you are not walking out the word of God, the promises of God in your daily life, it profits you nothing. If you are not appropriating what God has said but through His Word, by faith, it profits you nothing. See, this is saying the same thing that we've been reading week after week for the last seven weeks in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. That God, that, that God provided everything for the Jews to enter into the promise, enter in and possess the promised land. They just had to move forward by faith. He, he provided it by grace, right? It was his ability. He was going to give it to them, right? And all they had to do is step out in faith. They just had to move forward in faith. So, to God, so, so too, God has provided to everything to us in Christ Jesus. And we have to move forward in faith. We have to move forward into what Christ, what God has provided in Christ by faith, but by believing that it's true, that it's already been given to us. In past tense, our faith is always looking back at what God did in Christ Jesus. It's not a blind faith hoping God will come through. Right? That's what a lot of people think faith is. People think faith is, I'm going to run into this darkness and hope that God makes a way. No, we see that God has already made the way in Christ Jesus. And by faith and confidence, we walk in that darkness, believing that His Word, His Spirit, is a a lamp unto our feet, and we shall not stumble. Right? God, by His grace, had provided a plan for them. He promised Abraham in Genesis 15 that He would bring his descendants, Abraham's descendants, out of the land of Egypt and give them the entire nation of Canaan and the surrounding nations too. God promised this 430 years before it came to pass. When they finally came out of Egypt, that generation never saw the promise come to pass. They died in the wilderness. Even though that God promised it. There are things that God has promised the church today. 
that many have died without, without it coming to pass in their life. Why? Because of unbelief, by not appropriating by faith, by waiting for, some, for God to, to move instead of believing that God has already moved. They came out of the land of Egypt but never entered their promised land because of their unbelief. They had to mix faith with what God wanted them to do. They had to listen and obey. And likewise, we have to mix faith with God's grace in order to see our inheritance in Christ to come to pass in our lives. This is life application. In verse 3 it says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. God's plan in God's mind was a done deal from the foundations of the world. Everything that you would ever need was ever provided before you ever existed. See, here in verse 3, we're talk, see, there's a lot of things going on here. And, I, and I, I, I recommend that you guys go home, because we're going to talk about this next week too. Go home and read this Hebrews 3 and 4. There's a lot going on here. He's talking about entering into the promised land. He's, now he's talking about rest, this rest and the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. He, sa- he says in verse 3, the writer references Psalms 95. So let's read Psalms 95. That's, that's the reference. So I swore in my wrath they shall, they shall not enter my rest. It's, in, it's, it's referencing this in, in um, verse, or chapter 4, verse 3, and in Hebrews 3.15. So Psalms 95, verse 7, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. And I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, David wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrew writer is linking this Sabbath rest of Gen- the Sabbath rest of Genesis 2:2 with this rest that the Jews failed to enter in when they by not going into the promised land. You understand this? So look look at verse 6 of Hebrews 4. Or Hebrews 4:4. 4, 4. It says, For he had spoke in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So this Hebrew writer, he's, he's, he's got a lot of imagery going on here. He's got the imagery of entering into this promised land. And he's, he's got the imagery of Genesis, God resting for, on the seventh day from all his work. Right? It's this promised land where they were going to go in and it flowed with milk and honey. There was homes they didn't build. There's vineyards they didn't plant. Everything was provided for them already. They just had to go in and take it and a rest in that provision. Resting in what God had already done. That God provided everything in in Genesis and on the seventh day he rested. Why did God rest on the seventh day? 
Was it, he, was it because he was tired? Did God say, man, I am whipped? I, I, can't, I can't create another thing. No, God rested on the seventh day because it was done. It was complete. It was perfect. The imagery, to understand it, is you have an artist and he's painting a, a portrait, he's painting a picture, and he does this last stroke and then he steps back and looks at it and it's perfect. If he was to do one more thing to it, it could ruin the painting. It's complete. It's done. There's nothing more that I could do to this. And that's what God said. God says it is, he stepped back and looked at all that he created and it was good. It was real good. And he says, I am done. I am complete. There's nothing missing. Everything is provided. Everything is perfect. I'm going to rest from my work. That's what it means. And this is all imagery. This is, this is all shadowing what we would have in Christ Jesus. The Jews going into the promised land is nothing but a type and shadow of what we have in Christ entering in to the, our promised land, entering into the kingdom of God, entering in to our Sabbath rest where it's, everything is complete and finished in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ Himself said it. It is finished. And then come, it comes f- f- full circle and explain what this is all leading to. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So he's talking about the promised land. They didn't enter in because of what? Because it was God's will? No, because of unbelief, right? Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So what is the point that the Hebrew writer is trying to get across here? It's basically this. Don't be like the Jews. <laughs> Don't be like the Jews who missed out on something that God had already provided for them. Don't miss out on what God has provided in Christ Jesus. Do not harden your hearts in unbelief. Believe God. Believe what Christ has done. Step out in faith and, and walk into that Sabbath rest. Walk into your promised land in Christ Jesus. Appropriate the grace of God by faith. He goes on in verse 8. He says, for if Joshua... Now let me, if you guys go home and read this, I want to make some, help some, bring some clarity to this. If you're reading in a King James Version, it will say, but if Jesus... Why does this say Joshua? Because Jesus' real name is Joshua. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means Joshua. Where do we get Jesus from? We get Jesus from the Latin, right? Joshua means the Lord is salvation, and guess who the Lord? Jesus is? He is our salvation. So you can get twisted up in this, if, if they translated Jesus, right? This isn't talking about Jesus. This is talking about Joshua and entering into the promised land. 
It says, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So what, what he's saying is, is he's saying exactly what I just said. He's saying that Joshua, when, when, the, when the Jews finally went into the promised land, that wasn't the rest that God intended. It was all a type and shadow. It was a type and shadow. He's speaking of another day. This is imagery of what we would have in Christ Jesus. There's so much imagery there. You go, you, you go in there, and, and it, it, says, it says that... Uh, that when they crossed into the Jordan, remember the rivers were pushed back, right? And they and they and they were ten, two, what was it, two thousand cubics before behind the priest or something like that. And Jesus came two thousand years after the law, and 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 it says that the the Jordan was pushed back all the way to the city of what, Adam. It's all imagery of Jesus. It's all Im- imagery of what God would do in the spirit realm, in the kingdom of God, in Christ Jesus. See, this shows that the rest, this verse, were, that these verses were all um, promising was not filled when the Jews occupied the land of Canaan. It's saying that there is a rest reserved for the people of God that applies to us today as New Testament believers. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Have you ceased from your works? Are you working? For your salvation. Are you working? Are you, are, you, are you constantly doing things trying to get God to move on your behalf? We no longer have to work. It's no longer get good or do good, get good, do bad, get beat. It is Christ did the good. Believe in Christ. That your inheritance is in Christ Jesus. See, this refers all the way back to creation. When God rested on the seventh day, are you resting in the finished work of Christ today? Are you resting in Christ? Are you, or are you burdened? I believe it was by Holy Spirit. Pastor Tom said that he, he was sitting on the couch asking the Holy Spirit to download him a verse in the Bible. Has your yoke been destroyed by the grace of God in Christ Jesus? That was all pointing to Christ. Christ, our anointed one, and his anointing that is in each one of us. This refers back to creation and God resting on the seventh day that is complete, it's perfect. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as complete and perfect in Christ Jesus? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am holy. I've been set aside in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is abounding in my life. Sin has no dominion over me. I have been healed. I've been set free. He has given me the power to create wealth in my life. 
Jesus became poor that I might become rich. Read that in context. It's talking about money. Most pastors don't have the guts to tell you that. Why? Because they're trying to still working <laughs> to be righteous, to be holy, instead of resting in Christ, resting in the finished work of God, resting in what Jesus did. This is so, this is so different. The rest of God, the Sabbath day, was a picture, a type and shadow of what was to come, or more correctly for us, what has come. What we can enter into by faith today if we do not harden our hearts in unbelief. You know, we will conclude this, this teaching series. We're going to dive deeper into this understanding, the Sabbath rest that we can all enjoy in Christ. You understand the Sabbath rest is the grace of God. Our rest is in the grace of God. It's, our rest is what, what Christ has provided for us already, past tense. It's so, it's, so, it's so good just to sit back and relax that it's already been taken care of. It's already done. And then acting like it's true. Right? Because everything has been provided. It is finished in Him. The grace of God is here. And we now live by faith. That is why the Scripture says the just, those that have been justified, must live by faith. The just shall live by faith, trusting that your Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus, has finished all the work that will ever be needed for all eternity, and we rest in that fact. But today know this, God has rested from all His works. Are you? Did he not just say that we should enter, we should rest from our works? We rest in him as believing that it is done, it is complete, it is finished. You know, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come to me, all you who labor are and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He, he he's not talking about you're nine to five. He's not talking about your, your day job. He's not talking about working. He's talking about the, the, the burden that, that Pastor Tom talked about. That burden that's upon the shoulders of individuals. The burden of sin. The burden of religion. Of trying to, trying to win God's approval. The burden of condemnation and shame and guilt. The burden that the world puts on us. Jesus says, I have come to remove that burden. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me. Are you learning from Jesus? Are you looking at how Jesus did things? Jesus says, I do not say anything that the Father, unless the Father says it, and I do not do anything unless the Father's doing it. Do you know you have, we have that same ability? You know, I don't, I don't do it perfectly every day, but I do it a lot better than I used to. Just listen, just fellowship, li living a life knowing that God is constantly speaking to me and constantly looking out for my best interest. And even when a giant pops up and tries to 
put a kink in what God's trying to do in my life, having the confidence that God is able to work all things together for my good. To be able to rejoice in hardships and persecutions. Why? Because it's just another opportunity for the grace of God to show God mighty in my life if I'll just step out and not shrink back in unbelief. Right? L- listen to this. He says, he says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. There are so many people today. There are so many people that do not have rest for their souls. We have young people today that are filled with anxiety and fear of tom- tomorrow. They should be some of the most carefree people there are. But because of this world that we have created, bringing fear and uncertainty for con- to control and manipulate, we have young people today that, that a lot of them don't even have hope for tomorrow. And Jesus says, I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to this. The message, the message translation, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but I just love the way that he interprets the scripture. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My prayer is that you know, the help, you, you know what Eugene Peterson knew about God right here. To be able to express this scripture that way, that you would know your Heavenly Father, that you would know Jesus that never leaves you, that never forsakes you, that is with you, that is for you and not against you, that does not want you to live a life of burden and hardship. Do you understand that? Again, I'm going to take it right back to common sense. How many of you are parents, how many of you being parents, when you had kids, you thought to yourself, I hope their life is hard. I hope their life is miserable. I hope that, they just, that, that they're just scraping by, just barely getting by, that, that they don't have even t- time to enjoy life. That they never are able to rest. And they're always constantly worried and, and feeling anxiety about the future. How many of you parents would will that, wish that for your, your children? How dare us to put that imagery on our Heavenly Father? Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father wish, will to give good gifts to His children? God is good. No matter how good of a parent you think you are, God is a million times better than you. And His desire His desire is for you to enjoy this world, to enjoy the gospel, to enjoy 
the new creation realities in Christ Jesus, to enjoy the kingdom of God right in the presence of Satan and in in all his cohorts. You know, the, 20, the 23rd Psalm, it says, He prepares a table before me up in heaven where I'm safe and secure. No, he says, I, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that imagery is a banquet table, a feast table, a table of plenty. He says, my cup runneth over. You know, I said this years and years ago, and I offended some people, but it's good. The church is not sitting at the banquet table of Jesus. We're down on the ground looking for scraps that fall off the table. And if you want to continue looking for scraps, go for it. But I'm going to sit down. I'm going to rest. I'm going to enjoy what Christ has provided for me. I only have one thing to ask. Please stay off my feet when you're down there. Amen? Jesus has done it all. Jesus is our King. Jesus has done it. And it's time that the church starts acting like it. Amen? Amen. We're going to get into more of this Sabbath rest and understanding what it looks like to live in the grace of God um, next week. But uh, we're going to end right here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the rest that we have in Christ Jesus. And right now, we just take a deep breath and say thank you. Right now, by faith, we say we enter into that rest. We're done. We're done trying to qualify. We're done trying to get you to take notice of us. You have already taken notice of us in Christ Jesus. We are done trying, trying to get the promises of God to manifest in our life. But we rest in Jesus, knowing that the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. We rest in Jesus. And we use the authority that we have to fight the giants that we face. We, we use the, 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 the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to take what has already been given us in Christ Jesus. We enter into our promised land. We enter into our rest, and it's all by grace, and we take it all by faith. We thank you for being a good God that loves us. We thank you that you redeemed us. We thank you that this was your plan from the beginning, and you have pulled it off seamlessly. And because of the revelation of the Word of God, and because the awakening that is happening in the body of Christ, we can boldly proclaim and speak out into that darkness, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come in Christ Jesus. Church, no matter what you're facing in your situation right now, listen to the Spirit of the Lord and hear Him say, my child, the best is yet to come. 
Fear not. Fear not, my little ch- children. It is, the God's, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we receive this by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.